Welcome to the Creekwood Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download our new free app, which is the best way to listen to messages and keep up with everything happening at Creekwood Church. We hope this message inspires you and helps you discover practical ways to live a life of purpose. Enjoy. Well, good morning, Creekwood. How are we doing? Good. Come on, y'all can do better than that. Yeah. Ooh, yes. Man, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Each and every one of you, I'm, I'm convinced that it's for a reason, right? That God has a purpose, a plan for you to be here this morning. And I'm, I'm excited that we're in the middle of the series called Things Jesus Never Said. Um, we took a little bit of a break last weekend, um, of course, because of Mother's Day. We had the wonderful Elise Levin speaking to us. And man, I'm telling you, if you did not get a chance to hear that message, man, you need to download our app and listen to it. You need to, to log on online and listen to it. I don't really care how you listen to it. You just need to listen to it, right? She talked about breathing life, speaking life into the dead, dry places, and seeing what God raises to life. I'm telling you, it was a powerful word that we need to, like, keep in front of us. But I'm excited to continue this series on things Jesus never said. When Pastor Stephen um, told me that he had settled on doing this series, I was really excited because um, I kind of feel like I'm at this place in my life, like with what we're talking about in this series, because I think it's a, it's a great opportunity to kind of reevaluate, right? Kind of reexamine. Why do we believe what we believe? What did Jesus really say? What did he really mean? And I think that's a really healthy thing for us all to do in our Christian walk. Right? Reevaluate, re examine. And so I'm excited to kind of maybe straighten a few things out today because how many of you know that it's really easy to do the things you've always done? You know? Like it's really easy to believe the things you've always believed. And there's nothing innately wrong with that. I'm not saying that. I think that's a very human thing, a very human quality in all of us. I think largely we do the best we can with what we have, right? With what we've been given, what we've learned, what we know. And we pass that down, and they pass that down, and then they pass that down. And uh, it's kind of like a big game of telephone almost. How many of you played telephone? Yeah, if you were ever in the third grade, I'm sure you've played telephone in this room. You know what I'm talking about? Like the game where um, I, didn't, I didn't love this game. I just want to start with that. Um, if, if you know me at all, you know that I am like deeply wired for logic and reason, like Feelings isn't up there, but logic is definitely up there. It's a real treat for everybody Um, because if something doesn't make sense to me logically, I don't really like to be a part of it. So when I was told about the game Telephone, I'll never forget. I was at a summer party. It's like in third grade. And they were telling me um, that we're going to play this game Telephone. And I was kind of quoting back like what it is that we're going to do. And I was like, okay, so you're telling me that someone's just going to say a phrase and whisper it to their neighbor they're going to whisper it to their neighbor, and then they're going to whisper it to their neighbor. And then at the end, we're just going to say what the first person said. Like, that's the game. That's it. Like, this is supposed to be fun. This is supposed to be exciting. And of course, by the end of it, you know, the thing gets botched, and we don't even have a clue what the original person said. But I think for a lot of us, um, our faith can be like that sometimes, too. I think over time, um, some things can get lost in, in translation, right? Some things can kind of get messed up a little bit. And before we know it, we need to be reminded, what did Jesus really say? How did he really call us to live, right? What does he really have for us here and now? So if you are taking notes today, the title of today's message, right? How we're going to kind of frame this today is this. I believe that Jesus never said heaven was the only goal. 
Heaven was the only goal. Now, all the evangelists in the room, Desi, calm down, okay? <laughs> Come down. Listen, I'm, I'm, listen, heaven is, a, is we want to go there. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think it's our only goal on this earth is just getting there, right? That that's just like our only goal, our only destination. We just want to get there because I think we have this tendency in Western Christianity um, where we think accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior and saying this prayer, right? Getting our golden ticket, <laughs> like that's it. I'm, cool. I'm good. Did the deal, went to church, said the prayer. Awesome. You know, like I grew up hearing words like fire insurance. You know what I mean? Like you got, you don't get to go to hell, so you get to go to heaven now. Hooray. Right? Like that was, that was it. That was the exciting part of Christianity. And I just, I don't think Jesus ever intended for that just to be the only exciting part about living for him. Jesus um, never said that heaven was the only goal because I believe he was far, far more concerned and far more interested in us not just getting to heaven, but bringing heaven to earth. I think he was far more interested, far more concerned with us experiencing that here now. Not just getting there, not just this final destination. I think he's far more concerned with us experiencing it here. And and don't get me wrong, I love that we have songs about heaven. And if you grew up singing some hymns, you know we've got some songs about heaven, right? Pearly gates, mansions in the sky, that whole thing. I love that we have sermons about it, right? And I would never want to belittle those and and their place that they have in our faith by any means. But I just, I don't buy it that we were just called to say a prayer, do all the right things, like bootstrap it through this life and anxiously await for our day at the pearly gates. I think there's more for us. I think there's more for us. Because I don't know about you, but that sounds really boring and uneventful. You know what I mean? Like that's not the kind of Christianity that people um, risk their lives for, give their lives for. Some fire insurance, you're kidding me? There's more for us. God has more for us. God didn't want us to just wait to experience heaven. I think he wanted us to experience it here and now. And I think you and I, we all have a vital role and a vital part to play in doing that. So our main text today, we're going to be a few different places, but this is where we're going to start. We're going to be in Matthew 6, um, verse 10. And this is going to be an excerpt from the Lord's Prayer. How many of you have heard the Lord's Prayer? right? Every hand should be going up. This is like an iconic prayer. You know what I'm talking about? Like we have it printed on stuff that's like framed in our houses and it's on like bookmarks and t-shirts. You know what I mean? Like it's everywhere. It's this iconic prayer. Jesus teaching his disciples, this is how you pray. Um, But I think it's important that we kind of know the history, um, what was going on at Jesus's time um, when when he told his disciples, this is how you should pray, right? What was going on? Let's set the scene a little bit. So in Israel, um, where Jesus lived, the government was enforced through the puppet king, Herod, and through the religious institution of the Pharisees. And what Herod would do is that he would tax the province of Israel on top of the Roman tax and tribute, right? So it's like we're paying federal and state. You know what I'm saying? Like we're paying, we're just being bled dry with taxes. I think we kind of, we kind of almost have a feeling a little bit. But what's happening because of that, the the city, like the buildings are growing bigger and more ornate, right? The sitting's becoming more and more beautiful, but the surrounding towns and villages are being bled dry. Like the oppression of the Jewish people is at a peak right now. 
So the Pharisees, not only would they demand a Roman tax and tribute, they would also demand tithes in order for people to have access to God. It's wild. Like, could you imagine Pastor Stephen and Thalissa like outside in the front with the ledger and they're like, last name? Okay. <laughs> Haven't paid to tithes this month. Can't come to church. Like, could you imagine a system, a religious system that was set up like this? Right, So this is the kind of setting that we find um, the, the state of Israel. This is the kind of setting that we find Jesus in when it comes to this, um, this prayer that he tells us to pray. Right? And all of this adds up to this great economical stress for Jewish, um, the Jews of Jesus' day. And if, uh, listen to this, if you didn't like this system, like the way that that was set up, if you didn't like the way the Roman Empire had set things up and you wanted to do things a different way, didn't really fare well for you because your lot was likely crucifixion. Likely. Because the Romans, they didn't just crucify anybody. That wasn't their main form of, of torture or death. Um, the Romans crucified people who were enemies of the empire, who didn't want to do things that way any longer. And we knew eventually that was Jesus, right? So... Now we think about this prayer, and it, it doesn't seem like as sweet and endearing and, uh, you know, as iconic as it, as it once did, maybe. We see the state of Israel. We see the state of, of Jesus' heart, and I think it communicates the message of Jesus, the way of Jesus, so well. So when we read Matthew 6, verse 10, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We know that Jesus is saying, your kingdom come, God, not Herod's, not Caesar's, not this oppressive system that they've created. God, your will be done, not this pharisaical religious system that's here, your will on earth as it is in heaven. Like here, now, God, I want to experience a piece of what is up there here now. Jesus says, this is how I want you to pray. And I don't think he wants us to pray hard enough for like a literal kingdom to like fall down and crash into the earth. I don't think that's what he was trying to communicate to us. I think he was reminding us that if we've surrendered our lives to him, we, we have a part to play in making sure heaven looks a lot like earth. And I believe that that only happens um, through you and me. I really believe that that doesn't just happen through prayer, but it happens through us. Because can you imagine what this earth would look like if it looked a little bit more like heaven? Could you imagine what our schools and our homes and our relationships and our jobs would look like if it looked a little bit more like heaven? And I think that can only happen through us. I think you and I have a part to play, but, but how, Sarah, how can we... How can we do this? Because I know this concept sounds like really up here, really ethereal, like I need you to ground this, right? How can you and I do this? What does that mean for us? And I think Richard Rohr paints a wonderful picture for us. He's a Franciscan priest, and he says this. He says, Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which Christ looks compassion into the world. Yours are the feet with which Christ walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which Christ blesses the world. Yours. 
ours collectively through us, right? This is putting skin on it here and now. I think we all have a part to play. And if we have a part to play in this, I think we have to remember that God did not just call us to go to church. He called us to be it called us to be it. He didn't call us to just go, just attend, just show up, just sit and listen to some songs and listen to a message. I think there's more of a part to play than that. And I think it involves us being the church. You've heard me say this in messages before, and I want to say it in every message I ever speak because I think this reality would change things forever. I think it would change the way your relationships look. I think it would change the way your school looks. I think it would change the way your job looks. I think it would change the way this city looked. If we actually owned this thing, if we didn't just go to it, but we were it, right? If we were the Jesus with skin on here and now, I think that's bringing a piece of heaven to earth. We're not just called to go. We're called to be. I think everyone in this room has the unique opportunity and really the unique responsibility to bring heaven to earth in a way that only you can. Uniquely, only the way that you can. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says this. It says, here's another way to put it. You are here to be light. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in this world because God is not a secret to be kept. He is not a secret to be kept. When Pastor Brad was talking about water baptism, that's going to be happening in two weeks. Why we go public with our faith, why, why someone would make that decision is because they came to the conclusion on their own that God is no longer a secret that I can keep. That's why we make these decisions. This is the way Christ is telling us to live. He says, we're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. I mean, if I've made you light bears, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. I love this next sentence. By opening up to others, you will prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. God did not just call us to go to church. He's called us to be it. Be it. You're here to be light, to embody this. You know what embody means? Embody defined is to be an expression of or give a tangible visible form to an idea, quality, or feeling, (laughs) right? This is putting skin on the stuff that we know and we love. Embody this. He says, I put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. (laughs) And I don't know about you, but the only way things shine is when there's like a fire lit on the inside of them. That's how things shine. God said, this is the way we're called to live. Called you to be light, Because we see in scripture over and over and over again that Jesus is far more concerned with us living out our faith than just knowing it. Far, far more concerned with us living it, being it, than just knowing it, right? Than just having it here, than just learning it, than just hearing it. He wants us to be it. 3 John 1, 3 through 4 says this. 
It says, for I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. No greater joy than to hear that my children are walking. See that motion, <laughs> movement, action? He didn't say I have no greater joy than to know that my children heard it, learned it one time, know it in their head. No, he said, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking, walking, because I believe that Jesus knew that all of our knowing, right, all of our rightness, that stuff doesn't save a soul. But love in action, right, love on display, that's the kind of stuff that brings heaven to earth. I mean, how many of you, I, w- I would bet so many of us have a salvation story where we, come, where we came to know Christ, mostly because of somebody who put love on display for us. Right? Someone who showed us what Christ really looked like. Someone who showed us how to live for him really looked like. It wasn't just stuff. It wasn't just head knowledge. It wasn't just information. But it was love on display. Love in action. This is the way God has called us to bring heaven to earth. And so if we're supposed to play a part in this, I think it's important that we remind ourselves of what heaven really looks like. And again, we have songs, right? When I think about heaven, I think about like the songs that we have that talk about mansions in the sky and pearly gates and streets of gold and stuff like that, right? But the book of Revelation talks a lot about heaven, it talks a lot about the angels encircling the throne, this gigantic worship service that's going on. They're crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? It talks about kings like casting their crowns at the feet of Jesus, casting their crowns at the king of all kings, And I think if we were going to summarize all of these scriptures of heaven, I think we could summarize it this way. That heaven is most of all a place that is overwhelmed by the awareness of the presence of God. Overwhelmed by the awareness of the presence of God that we're finally with. (laughs) Overwhelmed by the awareness of the presence of God. Because for some reason here we're not super aware of it sometimes. Right? It's why we sing songs like we did today. God, let us become more aware of your presence. More aware that Emmanuel, God with us, that, that you meant that. That you sent your spirit to, to dwell with us, right? Emmanuel, God with us. I think heaven is a place that is overwhelmed with the awareness of God. Because in that presence where the presence of the Lord is the presence of love. It's the presence of joy, It's the presence of truth. It's the presence of life. So what if our mission on this side of heaven was to help people know, believe, and experience love and peace and hope and joy by the way that we cared for and treated them? See, I think we bring heaven to earth really simply. I don't think it's really mysterious. I don't think it's super complex. I think we bring heaven to earth when we love God and we love our neighbor. I really do. I think we can make it a bunch of stuff that it's not. And I think it's the simple. I think it's loving God and loving our neighbor. Jesus says these are the two greatest commandments on this planet. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, strength. 
love your neighbor as yourself. He says that all the law and the prophets hang on these two things. And that's just a really fancy way of saying it all hinges on these two realities, loving me and loving my kids. That's it. I think this is how we bring heaven to earth. And I think it's going to look so many different ways. I think it's going to look a million different ways for each of us. Because I think God is so uniquely, divinely created each of us to care for and love people in a way that only we can. But I think that the, the foundation of this love is found in a story called the Good Samaritan. You've probably heard it before. But I think we need to read it again, hear it again, because I really believe that if we love like this, I think this is when a piece of heaven touches earth. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 25 through 37. We got 12 verses. Okay, guys, y'all need to stay with me. I promise this story is really, really powerful for all of us today. All right, let's read this. It says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How would you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. And the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, but who is my neighbor? You know what I mean? Like, who's the people that you're saying I need to love, though? I need to spell out a little bit more. And Jesus replied as a story, as he often does, right? He never really answers questions head on, but kind of like all good counselors do, they help you come to your own conclusion. You know what I'm saying? Jesus does this, and he replies with a story. He says, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead on the side of the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed by the other side and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And I want to pause right here because I think we need to know the implications of this. And I think it's really intentional why Jesus communicated the story like this. Because the Samaritans were despised by the Jews. Despised by the Jews. They were known as half-breeds, half-Jew, half-Gentile. I mean, the, the Jews hated the Samaritans so bad that they wouldn't even step foot in Samaria. Like, they would take the long way around because they believed they were so, un, like, defiled, right? They were, they were so, um, they were so, what is the word I'm even looking for? They hated the Samaritans. Let's just put it that way. Hated them. And obviously it was likewise. You're going to hate me, I'm going to hate you too. So I think what's interesting is the fact that Jesus telling the story to a bunch of Jews would use the Samaritan as the main character. And he says a despised Samaritan comes along. The least likely person to help a Jew comes along. Pick up the story. It says, when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. He bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn. 
where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If this bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. One who showed him mercy. And I love what Jesus says next. He says, yes, now go and do the same. Go and do the same. Go and be. Go and embody this kind of love because we bring heaven to earth when we love God and we love our neighbor. And I think there are four things from this story, and there are plenty more. We don't have enough time, but I think there are four things that we can highlight from the Good Samaritan story. And I think that if we loved this way, this intentionally, I think a piece of heaven touches earth. So the first thing that we see the Good Samaritan do, he got close. He got close. Because how many of you know, like, proximity has a lot to do with love, getting close. That's a lot to do with it. And I'm telling you, younger generation in here, even older generation in here, Do not let those cell phones in your purse or in your pockets ever take the place of getting close. Do not let social media trick you into thinking that is getting close because proximity has a lot to do with love. Has a lot to do with it. We saw that the, the priest sees this man on the side of the road and what does he do? Kind of like skirts around him. Passes him by. So it's a temple assistant. It's like, I'm good. Somebody can take care of this guy. I've got stuff to do. The good Samaritan got close. The least likely person who was going to stop and help a Jew got close. And this tells me that loving your neighbor was never meant to look like loving only the ones who look like you. Loving only the ones who talk like you or vote like you or have the same moral compass as you. Love doesn't look a thing like partiality. It doesn't look a thing like picking and choosing the ones that you want to love. That's not how it works. That's not love. It's not love because the kind of love that Jesus showed, the kind that reached you and me, That was mercifully inclusive. Mercifully. I mean, there was no one that God's love excludes. No one that his love cannot reach, right? The Good Samaritan got close. What does that mean for us? Who's God called you to get a little closer to? You may think that you're at your job just... I need a job. I mean, i got to support my family. I, th- I don't know. I think you're divinely placed there because there's somebody that God wants you to get close to. You may think you're just a teacher because you like kids, right? You want to you wanna educate, but I think you're there for a reason. I think there's someone you need to get a little closer to. You might think you're a little league coach, right, because you're tired of yelling from the stands and you want to be in control, um, and I, I think there's another reason for that. I think there might be a parent. There might be a, a kid who needs your influence. There might be someone there for you to get close to. The Good Samaritan got close. 
Second thing we see is that he saw with compassion. He saw with compassion. Because, man, when you, when, when you see hurt, when you see pain, when you, when you see need right in front of you, you can't just walk by. You can't just pass by any longer when you finally get close enough to, to really see the hurt, really see the pain. Man, we can't just walk by. The Good Samaritan didn't walk by. There's a woman by the name of Mother Teresa. Incredible woman who lived in Calcutta, India, gave her life to the people of Calcutta. Men, women, orphans, widows, the sick, the weak, the lame, gave herself, gave her life to loving them. And she says this. She says, Calcutta is everywhere if we only have eyes to see. Calcutta is everywhere would we just have eyes to see it? Would we just have eyes to see the pain, the poverty, the loneliness, the ostracizing that's happening all around us? We just have eyes to see. Good Samaritan Saul with compassion. The next thing he did was he bandaged his wounds, right? We see that he used his most valuable possessions in this day, oil and wine, It says, and he used his greatest on the broken. He used what was most valuable, his most valuable possessions on the broken. And I think that can't not make us ask ourselves, what are we using our most valuable possessions on? What are we investing our most valuable resources in? Because the Good Samaritan used them on the broken, on the hurting. He bandaged his wounds, and I think that's when we start bringing a piece of heaven to earth. And I don't know about you, but I don't think, it didn't say anything about the Good Samaritan, like being a doctor. You know what I mean? I don't think he had like a fanny pack with a first aid kid and an ace bandage. He like bandaged this guy up with. Like I think he just ripped a piece of his clothing, and I think he bandaged him up right there. Tied him up right there, because I think the Good Samaritan knew that the mission starts with me here now. Doesn't start with the senior pastor. Doesn't start with the senior leaders. It doesn't start with the, the greatest volunteer. It doesn't start with the people who feel like, or you feel like they have it all together. <laughs> They've got it all down perfect. Let them be the ones who help. Let them who do the stuff. The Good Samaritan despised by the Jews. <laughs> the Jews' eyes has nothing to offer me. He said, the mission starts with me. I'm going to take care of you here now. Last thing he does is he gave of his resource. Gave of his resources. The Good Samaritan gave his time. And how many of you know this is the most valuable currency we have right now? Our time. Our time. I mean, he spent the day with this man. A full day before he left him, paid for the rest of his stay. Said if his bill runs up anymore, I've got it. Don't worry about it. Because that kind of love, that kind of mercy and compassion doesn't mind being inconvenienced. Mercy and compassion have all the time in the world for those who are in need. All the time. Good Samaritan wasn't rushing by, but he gave of his resources. And I believe that if we love this kind of sacrificial way, if we get close, right, if we see with compassion if we bandage the wounds of the hurting and need, 
we give of our resources. I think if we love this kind of intentional way, man, a piece of heaven touches earth. I'm convinced that the Good Samaritan story is in Scripture today because it's Jesus describing the church of his dreams. I'm convinced that that this kind of love, this kind of way, this kind of living out truth was the way Jesus dreamed his whole church would be, the way his whole church would live, getting close. That's what he's called us to do, Jesus says it again in John 13, 35. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love. Love. Not all the answers, not all the systems, not all the religion, but love. This kind of love that Jesus has called us to embody, has called us to shine. He's empowered us all to do it. We all have a part to play. I don't know what your story is. I don't know what makes you think you might be disqualified from being used by God, but I tell you what, in Jesus' time, I don't think you're probably going to get anyone more disqualified than a Samaritan. He's qualified all of us to be love here. And I think the early church did this really, really well, and they didn't make it complicated. They didn't make it complex. I think they grounded it here and now and made it really practical for us. Because the early church knew that the best way to tell people about a loving God was to simply show love. And the best way to introduce people to a God who meets needs was to meet needs. The best way to invite people into a relationship with a present, nurturing, and listening God was by inviting them into their homes and into their lives and being present nurturing and listening, right? Simple as that. Because I think if we could go back now and we could ask Jesus's disciples what, what it meant to them to be a part of the church, I don't think they would have ever thought about buildings. I don't think they would have ever thought about stages or, or lights or stained glass or steeples. I think if, if we were to ask Jesus's disciples what it meant to be a part of a church, they would have thought about the faces of men and women who showed them what real love looked like here and now. I don't think Jesus ever said that heaven was the only goal, that we just got to pray the prayer and do the thing and just get there someday. I think Jesus was far more interested in us bringing it here by the way that we care for, love, and treat one another. Can we pray together this morning? God, we are so grateful that you would pick a bunch of people like us to be your hands and feet. God, that you'd pick and choose a bunch of people like us to to use to love your kids. God, and I pray today that you would um, remind us, God, bring to our remembrance, God, men and women, people that you want us to get close to, people that you've called us to, that you've put us in their lives for a reason and for a purpose. God, I pray that you would remind us that the mission starts with us, that we can be an agent of your love and your compassion on this earth. 
God, would we be that people today? Would we be that people today, God? This is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Creekwood Church Podcast. If you live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, we would love to have you engage in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and more information about the ministries of Creekwood Church, please visit our website at creekwoodchurch.com.